week 60 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We are a nation that is burning, and we have an arsonist in the White House. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So the nation is mourning death at the hands of a cop, of George Floyd. But more importantly, we're talking about the injustice that far too many African-American men and women suffer at the hands, not only the police, but the everyday discrimination that far too many uh, face. And I, I've been asked a lot over the last couple days, you know, what do I think about this? What do I think about the president's response to it? Obviously, you know, I get called upon to talk about national politics and national issues. And this has just been um, a horrible uh, week for this country. And, and I'm not saying it's a horrible week for me. I mean, look, I am beside myself with grief for the mourning of that family. I, I saw George Floyd's brother speak on Monday and his words were uplifting to me. He said, stop with the looting. Don't think that your voice won't be heard. I'm paraphrasing him. And vote. I mean, you know, vote. And, you know, we have to um, understand that the politics of this situation right now, of where we are, is it could be deadly. The president, while hiding in the basement bunker of the White House, is trying to militarize this nation, trying to deploy the United States military to American cities to quell what is mostly peaceful protests. Let's be clear. Yeah. Are there some agitators in those protests that are um, hijacking them and leading to violence and looting and burning of neighborhoods to the ground? Yes, that's happening. But like every other issue in this country, the president wants to make it about him. And when he makes it about him, he has to appear tough. And given that he never served in the military, um, never really led anything other than his daddy's businesses that he inherited and built upon. 
he thinks that the best response is a swift military response. And he was on a call with governors. He was calling them weak. And uh, America, we haven't heard from the president yet as as I'm taping this, other than through Twitter, where he tweets out law and order. Um, I want to remind him that he's the president of the United States, right? Uh, When Nixon ran on a law and order campaign in 1968, he was the outsider and there was political unrest around this country and there were riots around this country and Nixon said, I'm going to fix it. Well, this is what his American carnage has brought. We are living in a country that is tearing itself apart and these protests are just the physical manifestation of that division that this man has been stoking since he came down that escalator in 2015. Six years ago now. Five years, six years ago. This is the first president, I think, ever that has never tried to unite the country after his victory. Never once did he reach out to people who did not support him. He has stoked political divisions. He has stoked racial divisions. He has tried to keep us afraid of each other. Republicans today are, you know, he, you know, is he's retweeting things from a sheriff that tweeted out the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. He's tweeting out um, racist statements from a sheriff in the 1960s where he said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. This is what his response is to the pain that so many Americans are feeling right now across this country. You know, we, you know, in the middle of this pandemic that we've been fighting, that he's been failing at fighting, this has erupted. And once again, we are treated to the fact that this man is incapable of basic human emotion and totally inept at leading this nation and saying what needs to be said to this nation. I um, I think he should resign. I think Republicans across this country should resign. I think they should be calling on him to resign. I see people like Lisa Booth on Twitter saying that, oh, I am ashamed of the way the president's handling this, but Joe Biden would be worse. Give me a break. You could walk into a park and you could pick out a stranger who happens to be old enough to be a president and a natural born United States citizen and that person would be better suited to be president of the United States than the fool we have in the White House who has zero empathy and has zero ability. I am, I don't, I mean, look, I don't even, I, you know, I know that my shows tend to be fun and I tend to you know, make some jokes. It's really hard to joke. I I do have an interview with uh, my good friend Ellie Mistal from The Nation uh, coming up in the show, and we did talk about these racial incidents. And it is a lot more fun in that interview because we taped it last week when these things were just starting. But having watched this over the past, uh, you know, five or seven days, really. And watching them grow and looking at the ineptness of this president and making it worse. I mean, I am, 
I mean, I'm just sad about it. This is the American carnage he talked about in his inauguration. This is it. Remember how he said this American carnage needs to stop after eight years of peace and prosperity under Obama? Yeah, we had our flare-ups under Obama. And yeah, we had our military conflicts abroad and other things. But man, it was eight years of growth. We have 41 million Americans out of work today based on his incompetence. We have over 100,000 Americans dead from COVID-19, something that could have been prevented had he not tried to just wish it away. And now we have this. We have a crisis in confidence. People in this country are afraid. They feel that that could be them on the ground with a cop's knee in their neck. And they want justice. And yeah, he's been arrested. I assume that his three accomplices, and I will call them accomplices, will be arrested. And then there'll be a trial, and we'll see what happens. The track record of convicting cops for this is not good. Let's be clear. And that will make it worse. And we have millions of Americans basically going stir-crazy, ready to erupt. I think it's going to be a long, hot summer, America. I think we're going to be in for more of this. Not just on this issue, but on other issues. You know, this is the same president who three weeks ago suggested that the Michigan governor go out and talk to the protesters. Well, Mr. President, uh, there are protesters in front of the White House right now. As I speak, and I know some of you listening to this on, you know, Saturday, a couple days after it comes out, they're probably still in front of the White House. Get up, put down the chicken leg, get out of your chair, waddle over to the fence and talk to them. Joe Biden went out and talked to the protesters over the weekend. Other public officials has gone out and talked to the protesters over the weekend. This is the same president that suggested that Gretchen Whitner, Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, go out and talk to protesters who came to the Capitol armed with AK-47s. I don't see this president following his own advice. Get up and do it, Mr. President, Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Brave Man, you know, or, or hide in the bunker like you've been doing. Bunker Boy, they're calling him on Twitter. Bunker Don and Bunker Boy. I don't know which one's going to catch on. It's like VHS and Betamax. See, there's a joke. Some of you got it. <laughs> Some, most of you probably didn't looking at the demographics of the people who listen to my, uh, my uh, podcast. Um, and I'm not going to explain the difference between Betamax and VHS. It's something from the 80s. Ask your parents if you don't understand it. Um, I, I just, I just want to see real leadership in America. I, I watched Joe Biden's town hall with the mayors. I am a little surprised that all these networks that have been gnashing their teeth that Joe Biden hasn't been doing public events. Well, he did a couple of public events today, and they didn't cover them. They didn't carry them live. The president burps. And they carry it live. Joe Biden has a serious conversation about community policing with four African-American mayors leading cities in turmoil right now, and they don't cover it. And, you know, so now what am I going to hear Chuck Todd talk about how, um, 
you know, how this president, <clears throat> excuse me, how Joe Biden needs to get out of the basement again. Like, I got to hear that. Somehow Chuck Toddcast has got a better placement on Apple than I do. I mean, give me a break. I hope they're covering what he said, but I haven't seen a lot of it. And frankly, I consume a lot of news, America. Amazing. And if you haven't watched it, you should go find it. It's uh, on his website. It's on his Twitter feed. It was a a pretty in-depth conversation. And for all those Trumpies out there who think Joe Biden has some sort of mental decline, why don't you watch that and try to tell me how that was mental decline? I'm sure he tripped over a word. I trip over words here all the time. And if you play it out of context, of course, you can make a video out of context. And if that's the way you want to believe things in life, you're just a sheep. And I, well, I almost cursed. And I almost used the B word, which I'm trying not to, to use anymore because I do now have a female dog that I love. And I also think it's sexist. I don't know. I should call men curs. It's just, look, We're at a point in time in this country where we're going to come to a a crossroads. And and that that crossroads is coming. It's November 3rd. Um, Where do you want to go, America? Do you want to try to restore the promise of America? A promise, by the way, that has not been kept to every American. And that's what these protests are about. But there is a promise that we used to strive for in this country. A promise of freedom and equality. Or do you want to go down the road of, I've got mine, screw you. Because that's the choice here. The President of the United States believes he's got his, and his supporters got theirs, and screw everybody else. Why are you angry? Okay, protest for one night, but don't destroy anything, and we'll all say we agree with you, and then we'll start calling you Antifa the next day. Oh, and by the way, and we'll we'll make Antifa a terrorist organization, even though the bill doesn't allow for domestic organizations to be classified as terrorist organizations. But, you know, he'll say it, and it won't matter because people aren't even listening to him anymore on a lot of this stuff. So that's the choice. And I get it. I hear those protesters. And I've worked in government. I've worked in nonprofit. And I understand that this is not an equal society. There is not justice for everyone equally. It is bad. And things need to change. And it starts with people understanding that they do have privilege. And understanding, you know, like we talk about, you know, you'll hear uh, in a few minutes, Ellie and I talking about um, the woman in Central Park. We call her Central Park Karen now, I guess. I guess that's the new thing. Used to be Becky's, now they're Karen's. Um, And how she just flaunted that privilege. She was aware of that privilege. She used it. I think you got to be aware of that privilege and you got to check it. I mean, you got to check it. I've said this before. Racism is not like a broken bone. Racism is like a disease, like alcoholism. It's with you forever. 
It's with this country. It's the original sin of this country. It's inside all of us, and you better check it, just like an alcoholic needs to check themselves and make sure they don't fall off that wagon. We think in this country sometimes, oh, well, we have an African-American president. Racism's over. No. In fact, having an African-American president showed us how many racists there really are. And they all came out with tiki torches right after Donald Trump got elected. Do your math, America. Do your math. No, no. Racism is with us. I doubt that that officer would have put his knee on my neck. I surely doubt it. He didn't think of that person. He didn't think of George Floyd as a human being. And that is not the only time that has happened. Maybe not even this year. It is the time we saw it, right? It's like the situation with the kid who was out jogging in Georgia. Had we not seen it, nothing would have been done about it. And here we are again. It's going to be a long, hot summer. And we better get some leadership from somebody. I mean, I really think I am shocked, dismayed even, at the lack of understanding by leaders in the Republican Party that this man is not up for the task and should be removed. I mean, removed now. I don't think you wait till November. I think the damage being done by this president every single day gets more and more irreversible. And I don't particularly like Mike Pence, but I do think Mike Pence has some issues that he cares about and some emotion and will actually try to do the right thing. And I think I could live with Mike Pence for the six or seven months he'll be president. But I don't think this country could wait till January 20th to replace Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is a threat to the republic. And his very existence in the White House is causing more harm every day. He is an arsonist. We are on fire and he is throwing gasoline on it. And if you are not scared for the direction of this country, wake up. And if you are not motivated to adopt a state, a swing state, and work hard to change the outcome from 2016 in that state, you better get going. I know I am. I got to figure out which one I'm going to. I keep thinking Texas is going to swing. We'll see. It might be Texas for me. I, it might be a lost cause, um, but at least I'll get some good barbecue when I'm there. I mean, I mean Florida, Texas. The problem with Texas is an institutional problem. They suppress the vote really well in Texas. Florida, because of the 2000 election, has a harder time suppressing the vote. But we'll see. All right. I have got Ellie Mastal joining me on the other side of this break. Um, you know what? I was fortunate. I booked him two weeks before this um, to have him to talk about this crisis. Because Ellie, if you're not following Ellie on Twitter, he's at Ellie NYC on Twitter. Please do. Uh, he puts some real 
uh, emotion into his tweets. He tweets out um, some, you know, he's just good at it. And he'll make you think every time you read his tweets. And sometimes he'll make you laugh. All right, hang out. I'll be right back. The Car Pro Show podcast is available on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. I can't take my husband anywhere. He's constantly behaving like a five-year-old, snorting, joking, yapping with strangers. It's so embarrassing. But the one period when he's fully engrossed in anything is if he's listening to the Car Pro Show podcast. Here they are now on the Car Pro Show. He gets to hear Jerry and Kevin share all the latest and greatest news and information about the CarPro Friends universe, reviews and commentary on all the newer vehicle lineups from every major brand, stories and testimonials about ultimate car buying experiences through CarPro.com, and certified CarPro Friends at dealers nationwide. My only regret is when this two-hour break from you-know-who ends. Save yourself! Grab some me time by tuning into the CarPro Show podcast on your device anytime, anywhere. Listen to the CarPro Show on iHeart, Apple, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business. CarPro.com. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico Podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools, enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Joining me now, somebody who I, I admire a lot, who is one of my favorite pundits to watch on television, and a person who I... Feel like I've known my whole life, even though I really haven't. Ellie Mistal, uh, nice to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. So I wish we were here just talking politics, you know. But uh, it it seems that the one thing that's not on lockdown in this country is racism, and <laughs> and it's it's driving it's driving me crazy. I've been I've been reading your tweets uh, the last couple of weeks, and and it's uh, it's clearly driving you crazy. Uh, the situation in Minnesota is the worst of the bunch. I mean, I, they're all bad. I mean, frankly, let's 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 call it what it is. I mean, the situation where the police officer uh, knelt on the on the neck of George Floyd, who was accused of passing a counterfeit twenty. I, I mean, that's a death sentence in America now. I mean, uh, it's it's the one right now that I can't get out of my head um, that I can't unsee. Um, they they killed that man in broad daylight in front of everybody. Um, and I think the, the thing that really uh, is sticking with me um, is how the onlookers in the video were begging the yeah. cop not to kill him. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it, it was so obvious to the onlookers what was happening. And it's not like they just walked by. It's not like they, uh, you know, for, for, for old-school New Yorkers, it's not like they kitty Genovese that thing, right? Right. They took, they, they were trying to be good neighbors. <laughs> this was not this, the sound of silence. Right. This was, people were saying, stop. Please 
stop, you're hurting him. Please stop, he can't move. Please stop, he can't breathe. And the cop didn't care. The cop killed him with his hands in his pocket. Not only did the cop not care, but the three other cops just sat there and watched. Yep. Uh, I mean, um, horrible. It, it's so so. It's it's a it's a bitter pill. It's tough to see and it's hard to swallow and it's and it's hard to it's hard to figure out what to what to say about that. I mean, like my legal, your legal training, my legal training. You go back to the law. You go back. To, yeah. Well, you've got to you know be prosecuted and you know there's there's a standard for attempted murder. There's a standard for murder, which this probably doesn't meet, but this certainly probably meets manslaughter. Right. Yeah. You, know, you you start you try to rationalize it with training and education um, because rationalizing with that um, is, is, is better or easier than dealing with the emotional impact um, of the trauma of watching this man killed. And then I think for me, as an African-American man, you know, I understand, I understand terrorism directed at me when I see it. Right? Yeah. Like I, I, I know what that message was for. I know who that message was directed towards. Right. I know what I'm supposed to be afraid about um, when I see that. Um, and like I said, I can't unsee that. I can't not know that that's what what happens. And then here in New York, um, you know, I've made this connection in one of my posts. I think a lot of people, a lot of black people especially, have been making this connection um, in their writing. Um, there's a one-to-one line between what happened to George Floyd in Minnesota and what uh, Amy Cooper yeah, um, the Central Park Karen. <laughs> yeah, Central Park Karen. Um, threatened bird washer Chris Cooper with right. Yeah. The, the the reason why and this is what I wrote about the reason why the threat of I'm going to call the cops on you works. The reason why that's a thing. Yeah, is because of what happens to George Floyd. Is because all black people know and are supposed to know that when the cops show up, they can take your life like that. You know, I want to definitely want to talk about Central Park Karen at some point in this in this uh, time I have with you. But I want to go back to Minnesota for a second. And and, you know, you are the justice correspondent for the nation. That is your your your, your new title right now. And obviously people have seen you on on MSNBC and other networks talking about the legal justification. A lot of people, including myself, who's a you know an attorney, and I'm not, I'm not an accomplished attorney anymore. I, mean, I haven't practiced in years, but I am an attorney. I can't understand why this officer hasn't been arrested at this point. Can you have any you know put on your justice hat for a second and tell me why that is? No, I can't. I can't explain it. If he was any other man in any other job in any other situation, if he was anything other than a white man, he would have been, he would have been arrested. Yeah. Not to say he was any other man, but we just we haven't talked about him yet. But we saw what happened with uh, Ahmad Arbery. Yep. Yeah. Um, obviously, he should be arrested. Obviously, he should be charged with a crime. At which point, the justice system kicks in, and he's got whatever defenses he can. Right. Make, right. Right. Like you know, I'm not saying that you you know pillory this guy without due process. Nobody's saying, saying to to drag him through the streets, but let's know, put him no, into the system. Nobody is exactly. Nobody is saying to deprive this officer of his due process rights. Nobody is saying let's treat the officer like he treated the black guy. Right. Nobody wants that. No. We no. We just want we just want the justice system to do its work um, on this officer, and the first part of that is by holding him accountable and holding him in jail until until and, and giving him. A fair trial. That is the first part, and that's all that people are asking for right now. And I do think it will eventually happen, but the fact that it hasn't happened already is alone 
a statement about his white privilege, about his whiteness, and about how about racial bias is in, in America. Because let me tell you, Chris, I cannot go out of my house, knee some white man to death on video, no, and be sitting in my house talking to you. No, you could not. You know, and it it's a uh, it's 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 amazing to me that they haven't acted on this yet. They had this press conference on Thursday night. There was literally nothing to say. The the U.S. attorney was giving her resume. Uh, I you know I I am blown away by it. The prosecutor was was bragging about how he prosecuted a, and got a guilty verdict for a police officer. It turns out it was an African American police officer that uh, killed a white woman. Huh, go right. go figure why that was a, a, a win over there. Uh, it, it it's it is it is it is disturbing to me. And and what's even more disturbing is I I don't know if you feel this, Ellie. But I feel like this country is on edge right now, like a tinderbox. And this is just fuel to the fire right now. And I think it's going to be a summer of unrest in this country. I don't know how you're feeling about it. And I'm not just talking about this this incident uh, or these other you know race-related incidents that have occurred across the country. Uh, I, I feel like just people are on edge. I mean, I, I, my latest post that actually just went, I got a text saying that went live in the nation while we were starting this interview, um, kind of touches on what you're talking about, Chris. I, I perceive as well, um, that we are at, that this is going to be a long, hot summer. Yeah. Um, uh, I, and I don't say that kind of idly. There is actually, you know, stats and, and history and evidence that sometimes when the weather warms up, uh, right, because um, people do get yeah. um, a little bit more irritable. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it from the perspective, again, of the black community and what we have seen just since March, um, not only have we seen these stories about the actual deaths of black people, yeah. the, 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 the George Floyds and the Breonna Taylors and those people. We've seen extremely unequal policing when yeah. it comes to social distancing rules. Um, the, the, yesterday um, we reported that um, 81% so far of the summonses um, for social distancing, distancing violations handed out in New York City have been handed out to black and brown people. Unbelievable. 81%. 81%. New York City is not eighty-one percent black. No, no. What you've heard in Montana? <laughs> no, it's not. It's about it's about thirty percent black, if that. <laughs> um, you cannot you cannot accidentally summon eighty-one. No, no, no. There's something wrong here. All right, we think it's going to be a long, hot summer. People are on edge. Uh, you know, we see the situations. You know, this woman in Central Park, Central Park Karen, uh, or whatever her name is. I, you know, when I saw that. I thought of Torre's book, and when I ran into you in in Tennessee, you were talking to Torre, and I started talking to him about his book and how it really changed the way I look at race relations and racism, and and really like you know what he 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 equates it more to alcoholism than a broken bone, and and you have to be on guard for it. I don't think this Central Park Karen woke up in the morning and was a racist, but she was born a racist. And she's got this racism under the surface that she didn't keep in check. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It, it's it's something that I think uh, again as an African American male, I I I I remember not being aware of it. Right? Um, you know my dad, actually. Chris. Yeah, I know um, him well. I, I I remember my dad having to teach me this. Right? Yeah. Teach me to be afraid of Karen. 
of people like Amy, right? To be to be reserved around these people, to understand um, that you know, if uh, remember my dad once told me we were talking about Sunrise Mall. It's <laughs> like you know, if all your white friends go running through Sunrise Mall, that's fine. If you go running through Sunrise Mall, they're gonna think you shoplifted something. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're going to, even though you might just be doing what your white friends are doing, you can't do what your white friends do. Right. Because you will be perceived differently just because of the color of your skin. And I had to be taught that. That's not something that I, you know, that's not something I was born with. Right. So, like, that, that's what, it, you know, when I saw that video, the, the person that I empathize with or that I put myself in the situation of was not. Amy Cooper, the white lady. I don't put my, I don't sympathize with her. Trust me. (laughs) I wasn't saying you were, but the the person that I saw myself as obviously was Chris Cooper, right? Right. The the bird watcher. I love how in the stories they had to point out that they were not related. Right. Just shows you how, like, shows you how these divisions are so artificial, right? Right. But, but, you know, and he later in other interviews talks about how as a bird watcher, which is not something, not a hobby that I have, right? But as a person who kind of is in Central Park a lot, sleuthing around bushes, (laughs) (laughs) trying trying to catch a glimpse of a rare bird, he always is aware of the fact that he will be perceived differently than other people, other enthusiasts of his hobby. Right. Right. And so like he just to be him, just to be able to do what he likes to do, he had to be prepared for Amy Cooper, right? Right. Like she didn't have to be prepared for him, but he And he was prepared for her. Always be aware of her and her ability to ruin his life and he was prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that that's the thing that kind of blew my mind. Just how just how ready he was for that moment, because it's and what you realize when you realize how ready he was, it's not his first moment. Right. It's not the. It's the maybe the first time that it's been on camera, the first time that it got into the Washington Post. It's not the first time this has happened to Chris. Right. Right. It's the hundredth time it's happened to Chris Cooper, and he knows how to deal with it. That's. I mean, that's the, what blows my mind. the burden of of that. You know, you just think about it. Like you watch this video, and you're like, first of all, the guy is completely calm <laughs> completely like you know he's not talking loud he's being calm the woman is is losing her mind um it, it's I, I i i i'm crying thinking about it i just i don't i just i don't i i, I My hate friends it have remarked on this with me where, where you know we'll be out in central park or we'll be out you know at a barbecue and cops will show up because there are too many black people right <laughs> right and my white friends are always, you know, have remarked on how calm I get. Because you know, I'm a loud, excitable, you know. Guy. Yeah, yeah. But my white friends have remarked on how how suddenly calm I get. It's That's very, funny. it's very different how you interact with the police than say I do. Right? More than likely, right? I mean, I don't, I don't let them talk to me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I used to be the chief deputy county executive, and the police department used to report to me. I just. I I don't take it. I mean, because oh, yeah, I've seen my white people who just who love saying, "Officer, I know my rights, man." Yeah. I have never once in my life said that to a police officer. I went right. to Harvard Law School, right? Right. Like, I'm not trying to. No, you definitely you know your rights better than I do. Well, I'm not trying to tell that my rights are are an issue in a court of law on the street. No, it is you, officer, who clearly must be right about everything you are saying. Right, 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 right. It is. It is. It's a scary world, and it just. I. I and I think that the environment's made worse. 
by the fact that here we are, like we said, it's going to be a long, hot summer. The nation's on edge on for a lot of reasons. Obviously, 40 million people are unemployed. 100,000 people have died. Everybody's worried about getting this virus, but people are also worried about their livelihood. And we have a president of the United States that has no ability to, to transmit hope and good feelings and anything to calm the nation down. In fact, he, he, he revels in amping people up. He's got no sense of empathy. He's got no sense of he's got no ability to understand what regular people are going through, right? Yeah. Um, his only way of interacting with the world is an us versus them. He's, he's always got to have somebody to fight. Yeah. And so at a time when you need a potentially a unifier or somebody to at least calm tensions, he is always the worst possible person to do that. And so he always says the worst possible thing at the worst possible time. Um, it is, it is uh, you know, one of the things that I think will – it is amazing that we have gone this long in the Trump era without more <laughs> violence. Yeah, violent. I, I feel like it's coming. I mean, and it's scary. My, my wife said to me last night, do you think we need security? I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? She's like, that tweet. I go, I don't know. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody, like, walks up to me on the street and says, you know, it's a very common name. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it, it is, he, he has no ability to calm things down and say the right things at the right moment. Even George W. Bush, who was pretty bad at being president, at least he could say the right thing to calm people down, uh, you know, when it when he had to after 9-11. I mean, he didn't, you didn't see people storming mosques after 9-11. I mean, he, at least, see, there, at least to the extent that people wanted to do that, W. was not giving them reign to do that, right? Right, right. Was not saying, was not saying, do this in my name. And in the way that, that Trump... Does, Trump, right? but, Trump but, told police officers to rough people up. Right? I mean, and, this guy was listening to Trump. As far as I'm concerned, Trump's partially responsible for this guy. But, I, but you hit on something else. I think that it's critically important. I don't want to gloss over it because well, you know the reason the reason why your wife says do you need security is because you you are you have recently been called out by this man. Yeah, right? and, and I think we and I, and I want to just I don't want to gloss over that because I just it's important to say it is insane that the president of the United States is calling out individual citizens on Twitter. I mean, that schmucks like me. I mean, let's just talk about the one issue we haven't talked about, and this is the uh, the killing of Ahmaud Audrey. Now, this is straight racism, if you ask me. I mean, this is not, there's no, there's no, there's nothing else you could even say about it. It's like two rednecks went out to kill somebody. Yeah, that was a lynching. That was, yeah. that, that's what that looks like, folks. Um, according to their own statement to the police, they all they did was they saw him running by his running by their house, and they thought that he was yeah uh, uh, had committed a crime at some point in the past. Right, folks. The citizens arrest law, even even as they exist in a state like Georgia, which are you know lax compared to state like New York. Even in a state like Georgia, the citizens arrest laws do not apply to people who think they might have seen somebody right. commit a crime right. months ago. Like that, that doesn't even com- come close to applying. There is no legitimate reason for them to have even chased him, much less stopped him, much less shot him and killed him. I, I um, mean, crazy, right? Again, this is a situation where any uh, any non-white person would be arrested on the spot for that crime. I said when I wrote about that a couple of weeks ago, again, can you imagine me sitting in, you know, I live in, uh, sitting in my house, you know, watching some white boy jog past my right. property and be like, you know what? He looks like a suspect in some bank fraud I, I, I've been reading about. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, go chase him down and shoot him. I'm not allowed to do that. I'm a runner, man. I have run every day for 520 days in a row. And I never worry about getting, uh, you know, shot when I run. I worry about getting hit by a car (laughs) by accident. (laughs) I don't worry. I'm not worried about these things. And, and, you know, for this guy was clearly out for a run, right? I mean, he was out for a run and to get basically lynched. You're right. I, I learned about this actually from your tweet. I didn't know what was going on in this. I I read your tweet. You said uh, something about, excuse me for being a little annoyed. I just witnessed a, a lynching. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I looked it up and I saw it and I was freaked out by it. I was like, this, how this still happens in this country, it, it's it's disgusting to me. With with without law enforcement taking the appropriate actions. And we have to remember, we live, in a, we live in a country that still does not have a federal anti-lynching law. Congress passed one. It's called the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Right. But guess who is letting it die on his desk? Mitch McConnell. Mm. Like, the, like the, the, the something, we, we are in the year 2020, and there is an anti-lynching bill sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk, and he won't sign it, he won't even bring it up for a vote because he knows that it's too popular for Republicans to vote against it. So he won't even bring it up for a vote, and that doesn't even get media attention, even when we're watching lynchings happen. It's amazing. And and, and what's even more amazing... It still doesn't make the connection. And this is something I have a general problem with media about. They never make the connection to the 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 horror and the and the outrage and the terror that is happening on the ground and the laws that are being supported yeah. by Republicans in office right they never make that one to one connection and so people don't know this is why you have to do more media Ellie <laughs> you know you got to just do more because you know this stuff you're smart uh, you have a you know a brain like a vice that remembers everything uh, it, it's you're right. I mean, that's the thing. And and by the way, these two guys and three people now would not even have been arrested but for the outrage of Americans seeing that video and saying, why haven't these people been arrested? The prosecutor had that video for a month and did nothing. They only did something when the video went leaked to the public. Yeah, and by the way, wasn't it the the guy who did the killing himself that leaked it? I mean, they thought that this was like justification somehow. They thought it was going to help his friend. The the lawyer for 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 the guys leaked the video because they thought it was it would show that they acted in the right right uh, right right yeah yeah it's not self-defense if you if you start the fight it's racism just does weird things to people i mean it It is bad and it is definitely not dead and if anybody who thinks that this country is is post-racial you are out of your mind all right ellie let me talk to you about one more thing in the few minutes i have left with you this whole president trump twitter feud uh, you know, I have said, and you're a better lawyer than me, that the First Amendment does not protect Trump from Twitter. It protects Twitter from Trump. <laughs> right? That's a great way of putting it. Right. I mean, I tweeted it as the best tweet I've had all month. It was like a thousand retweets. Right. He got <laughs> so, it completely inverted. Right. <laughs> but the other, the other thing that I, that I think is, and okay, the reason why I find this entire story funny um, is because it, it's it's conservatives chasing their own tail, right? Like, I, I just said that racism does horrible things to people, right? Yes. And one of the things it does is that it makes them feel constantly like a victim. Yeah. But there are conservatives in this country who honestly think that they are being victimized by Twitter and Facebook, which is 
hilarious yeah. when you consider that these people wouldn't be able to organize their white supremacist fantasies without Twitter and Facebook. Right, like right. They have, Twitter Trump, and Facebook has been like one of the biggest boons to their movement, and they think they're being victimized. Trump so would not be president but for Twitter. You know, he couldn't have done this with the New York Times right. as his main media outlet. Is kidding me? And anyway. now he wants to, to get rid of the statute. That allows Twitter just to say, hey, we're a platform, not a publisher. Okay, well, if they're a publisher, then they got to fact check stuff. And yeah. that's it. He's done. Their well, entire conservative actually, movement's done. It's actually the backwards of what conservatives want, right? right. Like if they make Twitter act like a publisher, if they make Twitter take responsibility for what goes up on Twitter, well, then the first thing that Twitter has to do is to get all of the lies and conspiracy theories and hate speech off of their site. Because if, that, cause if they don't, then when the next white boy mass shooter shows up somewhere and says, I saw this on Facebook and starts shooting right. people, that, then Facebook gets sued into dust. So the so- first thing Zuck has to do is to take off all white supremacists on Facebook. And the first thing at Jack has to do is take off all of this hate speech off right. Twitter. That's what conservatives don't want. I've been tweeting out, like, look, I'm a liberal. So, you know, you know try to silence me because... I'm yeah, not- you're telling the truth. Telling you're the using truth. facts. By the way, I, I want... Maybe we should just start a movement to just agree with Trump on this and say, okay, right. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Have at it. You, you, can't, you can't because, like, you, you know, you gotta you gotta defend the First Amendment, even when you know it's difficult. Right? It's and not a First Amendment issue. <laughs> I'm so. If Trump was able to do this, it would be a First Amendment, right? Like you, you can't you as you as you pointed out, tw- Twitter needs protection right. from people like Donald right. Trump, not the other way around. So you literally have to end up being on the side of Jack at this point, even though Jack is not your friend if you're a liberal. Like he's he has the right of the argument. But man, if if Trump could win this, like it would be it would be one of the most weirdly pyrrhic Republican victories ever, right? Yeah. Crush be the, the platform it would. that allows you to lie. Go ahead. Oh Go man, ahead this back. Wild West though has to end. I, I don't know. I'm just tired of it. All right, Ellie, I'm out of time with you. Uh Ellie Mistal, he is the justice correspondent for the nation. He's at Ellie Mistal. Am I saying that right on Twitter? At Ellie Mistal on Twitter. At L-E-N-Y-C. At L-E-N-Y-C. Even better. What a great... That's a great one. At L-E-N-Y-C on Twitter. He's great to follow on Twitter. I follow him. You should follow him. Ellie, thanks for joining me. All right. Thank you so much. Have a nice one. All right. That's Ellie. I will be right back. I'm Chris Hahn, the Aggressive Progressive. Check out a new episode of the Aggressive Progressive podcast every Tuesday. You know, the election is heating up. Just as the year is winding down, stick with me. I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Download the Aggressive Progressive on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you in search of deeper meaning in your life? Longing to manifest your true desires and unlock your full potential? Look no further than Portal Mystico Podcast, your gateway to treasure trove of transformative tools enlightening interviews, and enriching content. I'm your host, Elena Maggio, and it's my heartfelt desire to guide you on this extraordinary journey of self-discovery. And with every episode, I'm passionate about sharing and introducing you to new topics in self-development, metaphysics, astrology, the law of attraction, numerology, interviews that will eliminate your path and fuel your own personal growth. 
This podcast is your wellspring of inspiration dedicated to help you uncover your purpose with unwavering passion. Together, we'll dive deep into the fascinating topics and explore endless possibilities. Listen to Portal Mystico on Pandora, Apple Podcast, or your favorite platform. So Ellie Mistal, great guest. Make sure you download his uh, articles on The Nation. Subscribe to The Nation. And um, he's at L-E-N-Y-C on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Make sure you're following me and please share this podcast. Before I go, I um, while I'm taping this, I mean, the president has gone full, I don't know, Nixon, what do we call it? Um, Henry VIII? There was a peaceful protest in front of Lafayette Park. A peaceful protest. Nobody was throwing anything. Nobody was looting. They were exercising their First Amendment right to protest. And the president brought in the military police and the Secret Service and cops on horseback. And he shot tear gas into that crowd. And he plowed through that crowd so that he could do a photo op in front of St. John's Church, which was, of course, damaged during the protest the night before. And I'm not supporting the damaging of that church. But the President of the United States, in a moment where this nation is burning, continues to throw gas on the fire. He thinks that this division is going to help him, America. That's what he thinks. He thinks, let's just keep this going. Nobody's talking about my failure with the economy, my failure with COVID-19, my failure on foreign policy. Nobody's talking about that. They're talking about the looters, and this is good for me. And I, God, believe he is not right in that because this unrest is on him. He injured Americans for a photo op let that sink in for a minute that's who he is he injured Americans for a photo op he is a disgrace he is an absolute disgrace and he needs to be removed I I am beside myself thinking what happened here, thinking about those poor people in the crowd. Not everybody who protests is a looter, Mr. President. Not everybody protesting is part of Antifa. There are a lot of Americans who think you suck. And you do. And you need to go. You have destroyed this nation. This is the American carnage you dreamt about. You know, what you were seeing was a hallucination, was a vision of the future of this country. And then you wrote your inaugural ad- address based on your vision of this country, which is now coming through, coming true because of your ineptness, because of your incompetence, because you are incapable of basic humanity. Nice photo op, Mr. President. I'm sure everybody's going to be really happy to see you looking at the damage of St. John's Church. You came out of the White House. You had to get out of the bunker. You had thousands of military men there, and you injured Americans. Great job. Great job. 
Oh, I don't even know what else to say tonight, America. I hope you're as disgusted as I am in this man. I hope you see what he is. I hope you are talking to your conservative friends and pointing this out to them. And I hope that at least one in 10 of them or one in a hundred of them are changing their minds and seeing him for the train wreck that he is. I don't know what else to say. I'm going to end the show. I'm going to remind you as always to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me, America. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. And be safe, America.